Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast... I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. In this episode, we're going to look at the Golden Riots. Hi, today I'm joined by a very good friend and a very knowledgeable person. Hello, I'm David Charnick. I guide extensively in Tower Hamlets, the original East End, but I'm also a qualified City of London guide. And I teach tour guiding through the London Borough of Tower Hamlets. Well, once again, always good to see you, David. Uh, it was a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Derek. Let's, let's discuss the Gordon Riots. Now, mm. the reason they fascinate me, obviously as a taxi driver, I'm all over London. Mm-hmm. Um, and these riots were pan-London. Yeah. Um, let's let's be specific about the East End first of all, and then we can be more mm-hmm. general afterwards. So, what caused the Golden Riots, and how did they get their name? Okay, uh, they were an extreme example of intolerance. They happened in June 1780. They were a reaction by a group called the Protestant League against legislation that had been passed a couple of years previously, which made it easier for Catholics to become you know, higher up in the establishment, you know, government, that kind of thing. Um, Catholics in England and then Britain had been getting an increasingly easier time since really the reign of James II in the 1680s. Things, by and large, had been getting easier on an ordinary level. But uh, the Papacy Act went through in 1778 to make that official, And the trouble was a lot of the Catholic community didn't want that because they thought if you make it official, there'll be a reaction, and there was. And so the reaction came from the Protestant League and particularly the president, who was called Lord George Gordon. Hence the Gordon Riots. Absolutely. Yeah, so he was the the figurehead for their protest against this legislation. And... On the 2nd of June 1780, Lord George Gordon took a petition to the House of Commons. He was a member of the House of Lords himself. And the petition was to repeal this legislation. And it was slung out. And so the subsequent rioting was a reaction to this, you know, a reaction by... Did he encourage the rioting? 
He didn't discourage yes, it. Yes, he did. He did encourage it um, in terms of stoking up the intolerance. Right. But uh, he wasn't sort of um, materially involved, you know, in the organisation of it, that kind of thing. Mm. That was largely taken over by the mob. Was it sporadic? I mean, you know, did sort of one street explode or one area explode or one business get burnt down or was it organised? It grew. It started really um, with spontaneous reaction to the chucking out of the petition because Gordon had marched from Clerkenwell to Westminster with a big mob of supporters from the Protestant League. And when they heard that the petition had been thrown out, they just went mad, really. And being as they were focusing on Catholics, they went to two places where Catholic mass could be heard legally in London, which were chapels belonging to Catholic uh, countries, in this case Bavaria and Sardinia. Okay. And they attacked the chapels and what they did was to rip out everything that would burn and make a big bonfire outside. And that was the traditional way of rioting in those days. You would attack a building and you'd rip all the stuff out that would burn and make a bonfire outside. Where were these chapels located in London? Well, the Bavarian chapel was in uh, Soho, as I remember, and the Sardinian embassy was down on Sardinia Street, just round Hoban Way. Oh, off off the Kingsway. Yep, Lincoln's in Fields, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's how it started. But then the next day, the Saturday, uh, all these people started gathering in the evening in the Moorfields, so just on the north side of the city. And when there was a big mob there, they started moving through the city. And the thing about the violence was it wasn't aimed just at Catholics. It was also, it became an anti-authoritarian protest. So they attacked places that were to do with authority. So they attacked the Bank of England and they attacked jails. They Famously, they attacked the Newgate Jail down on Old Bailey. And um, that was still being rebuilt after the the demolition of the gatehouse. And so they sort of worked their way in there, smashed all the doors and everything, all the prisoners obviously made an escape and so on. They attacked the fleet prison, just a little bit further along the road from Old Bailey, and uh, crossed over London Bridge and attacked the Clink prison, down on Bankside as it is now. And uh, they destroyed it, and it was never rebuilt. How much... Um, initially of the rioting was to do with the sort of dissatisfaction at the social and economic climate of the day. Um, I mean, we've heard from previous discussions that people lived in quite poor conditions. None of it. It was nothing to do with that at all. (laughs) It was purely um, stoked up by this organisation, the Protestant League. And so the whole focus of the rioting was the Catholic community, and the authorities that allowed this kind of culture of tolerance to build up. I understand. And in fact, the community was very much against the rioting. Um, the, The rioters effectively isolated themselves by attacking so many ordinary people and ordinary households and businesses and that kind of thing. Uh, In fact, so much so that you get what became known as the Householders' Associations. So these were groups of local people who were banding together to prevent the damage 
to people's properties and so on because the damage spread out it sort of went in ever increasing circles as it were from the center outwards until you get to black wednesday which is wednesday the 7th of june 1780 and that's when the violence really spread out to mayfair in the west and uh, clerkenwell in the north and in the east to the tower hamlets okay and when, once the rioting had started, etc., mm. um, are there any specific cases where they went to, I don't know, a, a particular landmark and destroyed that and had the following on consequences? Or The main um, focal points were, as I mentioned, places of authority. So uh, the Bank of England and the prisons and so on. Right. You know, and, uh, and the houses of um, certain people in the legal profession and that sort of thing. Uh, so... Yeah, it wasn't like, say, with the suffragettes when they went into the National Gallery and defaced the pictures and that sort of thing, you know. Um, It was much more uh, focused than that on their specific grievances. But um, they did attack, as I mentioned, places to do with uh, figures of authority, like David Wilmot, who was a magistrate in Bethnal Green. They attacked his house and sacked it. Oh, poor Mr. Wilmot. What happened? I've heard of him previously. What was his reaction to the situation? Yeah, David Wilmot, he was, um, he sort of comes to our notice uh, as a result of uh, the the Cutters riots of seventeen the 1760s. Um, he was active in pursuing the, uh, the, 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 gangs of weavers who would go and attack the equipment and looms belonging to master weavers who employed the journeymen. And uh, Wilmot was, uh, being a local magistrate, he was very active in uh, in chasing them and he got death threats and all sorts of stuff like that. And he was also uh, the chief magistrate at the hearing of uh, the case of uh, Benjamin Russon, the master of the local school, who was up well, eventually he got up before the old Bailey on four charges of rape. So Mr Wilmot's featured in a lot of our discussions, David, (laughs) hasn't he? He was a prominent local figure as a magistrate, but also he was a developer, a builder. And there is uh, Wilmot Street just off Bethnal Green Road on the south side. Yes, I know. And uh, that was an area that he developed. Obviously, the houses have long Mm. since gone. Um, But on the north side of Bethnal Green Road, there's a little street called Rushmead, uh, just by Tesco's, and that he built a square there. So there was a Wilmot Square, a square of Georgian housing. Uh, but on the north side of that, he built a house for himself called, well, it became known as Wilmot's Folly, like uh, a Kirby's Castle, Bethnal House. You know, there, yeah. there was a big uh, local house in 1570. Um, you know, the locals had this way of referring sarcastically to uh, overblown housing. And, of course, Wilmot, being a builder, he's not going to build himself a small house. He's going to build himself a very nice house. So it was known as Wilmot's Folly. And that was attacked on the night of the 7th of June, Black Wednesday. Uh, a mob of an estimated 40 people descended on his house and just ripped the guts out of it. Everything that would burn, they dragged out and made a, a huge bonfire outside the house. So when this was occurring, would there there obviously was no police force at the time. Would mm. there have been anybody to sort of restrain these rioters and, or make them see reason? Not officially. Uh, the, I mean, the It was too 
quick to order the militia in, you know, to, to yeah. raise the militia. That didn't happen until the next day, the Thursday, Thursday the 8th. And that was when the, the troops came in and that basically stopped the Gordon riots. Um, they, you may have heard the phrase reading the riot act. It's an actual thing. I have thing. heard it. Tell me more. Yeah. Um, reading the riot act, it doesn't happen anymore, but um, we only use it figuratively now as an expression. But it meant effectively, effectively proclaiming martial law. There was a specific proclamation and, uh, you know, it was a set form of words. Uh, but uh, the authorities would read it out in the streets and it was effectively, as I say, declaring martial law and forbidding people gathering together. And it gave powers to troops who would be patrolling the streets that if they saw a group of people, I think about four or more, uh, they would go over and disperse them. Right. And if they refused to, dis to disperse, the soldiers had the authority to shoot them, basically to fire on them. Right. So how many days and nights did the rioting actually last? Well, it was the there was the the chapels were attacked on the Friday, yeah, but that was all on the Friday. So you got the Saturday night, nothing on the Sunday day off, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So one night on Saturday, and then three subsequent nights, yeah, and then on Thursday, as I say, it was brought to heel by the soldiers getting yeah. out on the streets. Okay. And have you got any specific stories for me of individuals who are involved or...? or... Well, the thing about um, the Wilmot, <clears throat> the attack on the Wilmot house, is that, as I say, it's estimated about 40 people were involved. Only one was identified, a man called John Gamble. And uh, he was identified by James Hayburn. I think that's how it's pronounced, H-A-B-U-R-N. He was a head borough. What's a headborough? What was a headborough? <laughs> oh, you don't know. You surprise me. Uh, we don't have headboroughs anymore, but they were um, they were sort of law enforcement officers locally. They were there to ensure that laws were being obeyed and carried out. So, uh, kind of like a constable, but I think more on the uh, judicial side. So, like sort of. Uh, a step down from magistrates. Well, so would the local magistrate have overseen the headborough then in those districts? Oh, uh, yeah. Right, yeah. I understand. And uh, anyway, James Hayburn knew Gamble because Hayburn was a cabinet maker and um, Gamble was a woodworker. And the thing is, he had a sort of crisis of conscience because he didn't want to inform against Gamble because he knew him. And he was split between whether he should inform and whether he shouldn't. And then he decided eventually he should. And so uh, Gamble was arrested and he was convicted and he was hanged on Bethnal Green Road. Oh, so they didn't transport these people up to um, Marble Arch, Tyburn to be executed? Tyburn Tree. Tyburn no. Tree. No. Um, on the first day of the hangings, which was the 11th of July... Uh, 1780, three people were hanged at Tower Hill, but two other people were hanged, one on Coleman Street and one in Bishopsgate in the city, uh, close to where they'd been uh, convicted of committing their crimes. Would that have been to sort of show the local population, if you misbehave, this is what will happen to you? It was an exemplary uh, punishment, yes, exemplary executions. Uh, these did occur sometimes. It wasn't just for the Gordon riots. It did occur on other occasions. Right. There, there were occasions when people, for instance, might be convicted of a murder 
And so rather than being taken to Tyburn or Smithfield or Tower Hill or whatever, uh, they will be hanged near the site of the murder. And, yeah, there are various uh, instances of yeah. that going on. So, yeah, Gamble was hanged on Bethnal Green Road facing Tesco's, although it wasn't there at the time, of course. Did the women of the day play any part in the rioting? The presence of women is noted on a lot of the uh, transcripts of the trials from the records of the Old Bailey, the old Sessions Court, the precursor to the modern one. Um, Sometimes as... Uh, sort of encouraging the violence. Oh, right, as um, Yeah, but also um, as looters. There's a lot of looting going on, a uh, whole lot of looting going on. Um, particularly, we get this from the account of the attack on the Red Lion in, well, just off of Whitechapel Road on, ironically or confusingly, on Black Lion Yard. Is that where Black Lion House is now located? That's correct, yes, on the north side of Whitechapel Road. And uh, three people were arrested for the attack on the pub, although only one of them was actually convicted, a man called Samuel Solomons, who was was a pencil maker, actually, Um, funnily enough. But um, as a result of the, uh, the inquiry three women were arrested for theft. They all got 12 months each. And they were, I suppose, foolish enough to use a lot of the stuff that they stole rather than trying to just sell it on as quickly as possible. And that's how they came to light. <laughs> oh, that's how they came to be caught. Mm. What part did alcohol play? I heard you mention the pubs. What part did <laughs> alcohol play? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In, in sort of flaming or fanning the flames, so to speak. Oh, a very big part. Um, leaving aside the fact that pubs were attacked and therefore alcohol was to be had to hand, uh, the big catalyst, as it were, for the violence on that Wednesday seems to have been gin, uh, stolen from Langdale's gin distillery. Thomas Langdale, he was, the, he was a Catholic, uh, but he had a gin distillery at Hoban. So sort of it was next to Barnard's Inn. So if you go to Hoban Circus yeah, and head yeah. westwards, yeah, uh, across the road basically from the old Prudential building, if uh, if you know yeah. where that is, I'm sure you yeah, do. Yeah, I do, absolutely. Um, anyway, <clears throat> he was there and uh, being a Catholic, his distillery came under attack from the mob. So he managed to get away. He got out the back and he sort of wiggled round and made an escape through Barnard's Inn next door. But the distillery was attacked and burnt to the ground. Obviously, it burnt quite readily with all that spirits around. But obviously, not until gin had been looted. And there is, well, there was an attack on uh, the pub and slop shop, uh, slops being clothing, uh, of John Labati, who was an Italian down at St. Catherine's, where the docks are now, the St. Catherine's oh, Docks. Oh, yes, yes. Um, which used to be a, an actual thriving community until the docks were built. Anyway, he came under attack. Being Italian, he was a Catholic. And uh, one of the attackers was a, a soldier. And he is recorded in the witness statements as swaggering down the street, um, obviously half cut. One of the things he was shouting out was, Popery, Popery! And the other things he was shouting out, anyone want any of Langdale's gin? <laughs> and he'd managed to loot a few bottles of it and he was swigging away as he went down. And uh, he was actually trying to to fan that little bit of local violence because they were attacking Labati's premises. Yes. But there was a china shop down the road, which was uh, where a man called Morrison lived. And uh, this fellow was trying to say, oh, go, go and get him, get him as well. And so the mob went down there, and Morrison had made his escape, but the servants were there, and they said, he's a Protestant. And, and they said, well, show us he's got an English Bible, you know, rather than a, a Latin yes. one, you know. And uh, so they managed to produce an English Bible. They said, oh, well, he must be Protestant. Oh, he's all right then. <laughs> and so they left they him left alone. They left his China shop elsewhere. alone, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what... Did the writing end suddenly or was there sort of pleas made? Did it calm down over a period of time? I know you've mentioned the riot act. Did it literally put a stop to it? Absolutely, yeah. That was the day after the, the, the violence of Black Wednesday. So that was the Thursday. And so the troops coming out on the streets, that's what brought everything to a, a sort of abrupt halt. Mm. But there were... Resist, there was resistance from the local community. Um, you had the the associations of householders getting together, you know, and uh, trying to protect their premises. I mean, I mentioned about this fellow Morrison with the china shop. Uh, he actually came back in the early hours of the morning and the rioting was still going on. 
But at that point, that's when one of these householders' associations appeared to uh, to stop the rioting going on. So there was resistance from the community. I mean, it must be understood that the Gordon riots were not viewed sympathetically by the community. They weren't from the community like early riots were. They were largely condemned by the community at large. Right, I understand mm. now, yes. And was there any sort of repercussions to the riots? I mean, you know, you said they sort of suddenly ended with a Read and Write Act, but presumably people didn't suddenly shake hands and forget all about it. No, there were arrests and there were hangings. Um, although not as many as you might think. Only 85 people were tried at the Sessions Court on Old Bailey. Another 50 on the other side of the river at the King's Special Commission at St Margaret's Hill. But of the 85 people tried at the Old Bailey, only 35 were found guilty. The majority of them either had no evidence brought against them or they were found not guilty. And of the 35 that were found guilty, only 23 of them were hanged. So it's actually a relatively small number of people, if you think about it, that actually uh, were punished. Yes, certainly in terms of those that took part in the rioting. Mm. Yeah. And how long or did it take a long time for the communities to sort of mend? I mean, presumably there was antipathy towards the Catholics even after the riots. It seems that the Gordon riots uh, were counterproductive, that they actually increased people's tolerance. That they thought, you know, there's such extreme reaction to... Uh, to, you know, tolerant legislation, um, that seems to have woken people up to, I don't know, the, the dangers, as it were, of intolerance. So, um, actually, life did get a lot easier for Catholics after that. I presume because, um, obviously, Britain was going through the war with America over American independence, mm -hmm. um, I think there was still conflict with the French, um, and with the Spanish, and mm. I suppose a large element of those would have been viewed as Catholic. So would there have been that suspicion that the papery was a, a foreign...? Um, it was... Yeah, it, it was an issue that had been going on for some time, obviously, since the 1500s, really. And uh, Henry VIII and... Well, not so much Henry VIII, but under him, Edward VI, then Mary I, Elizabeth I, and so on. Um, yeah, a lot of it, as you say, was to do with politics. So, uh, you know, which countries are you allied with yeah. depended on whether, you know, you were Catholic or Protestant, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there, there would have been that aspect to it, I suppose. But, um, as I say, it, it did tend to produce more tolerance rather less, rather than less. That's interesting. So, mm. yeah. David, have you got any more uh, stories of individuals involved in the riots that would interest me? There are two stories. One of them is really funny and one of them is extremely poignant. So, funny one first. Please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's a fellow called William Hutt, H-U-T-T, and he was brought up on trial for wrecking a weaver's house on Wheeler Street. So Wheeler Street from Bethnal Green Road down to Commercial Street, so yep. Bethnal Green Spitalfields. And he was an apprentice velvet weaver because weaving, of course, was still very much the local trade in the East End in 1780. And he was a, an apprentice, so he was a young man, quite a young man, 
and he had been seen by a man called Myers. And Myers gave a sworn statement that he'd seen Hutt chucking things out of this house and at one point getting a bed out of an upstairs window, uh, you know, wooden bed frame. So that was going out for the bonfire. And uh, he nearly fell out after it, you know, when he chucked it out into the street. Anyway, he gave a very detailed statement, this Myers, before the trial. And then when the case came to trial, suddenly Myers was less certain. And uh, he said things like, for instance, that, you know, it's Wednesday, um, Black Wednesday the 7th. And, um, um, yeah, it was Wednesday. It could have been Monday, actually. Uh-huh. I'm not totally yes. sure. He said it was definitely between 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that doesn't help because we need the date, yes. not the time, you know. Yeah. Um, and he kept asking the court to refer back to his written statement. And in the end, the prosecuting counsel said, I do not like this witness. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the case falls to the ground. And, and you can hear the frustration in the uh, prosecution counsel's voice is getting increasingly frustrated with this witness for the prosecution who is refusing to play ball and whether Myers was just genuinely uncertain or whether he was just phased by being in court or, or maybe he sort of looked at this young man who wouldn't have been much older than a boy you know and, and suddenly thought I could hang him if I say the wrong yeah, thing. Yeah, with that evidence. Maybe or could he I have shouldn't. been got at? Um, I, I, I suppose he could have been got at, but the question is by whom? I mean, the, the boy was just an apprentice, so he, he wasn't necessarily of a moneyed family or anything. No. Otherwise, he would have been uh, in a different walk of life. So mm. <clears throat> it's possible. So what I'm noting from our conversation is that a lot of people got involved in this who probably Mm. weren't aware of what they're actually getting involved in. Um, They might not have understood why the rioting was taking place, but it seemed like a good idea to get involved and chuck some stuff on the fire. They would have known why they were doing it, but as you say, they just wouldn't have appreciated the significance perhaps at the time. But isn't that always the way, you know, people just get involved because there's something going on. Oh, yeah, there's... The, I mean, look at 2011. You know, so many people running out there. It all started with a young black man being shot who allegedly was involved in uh, organised crime. But it escalated from there. And you just got people running out, smashing up windows and stealing stuff from shops. You yeah, know, they weren't interested in any human rights violations or anything like that. So that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think the Gordon riots changed the nature of rioting? They changed it completely. Uh, prior to the Gordon riots, rioting was a localised event and it came from the community, usually uh, at some uh, slight, you know, something that happened to offend them uh, or, you know, maybe a, a corrupt official or something like that or because of the conditions. So in the 1760s, you get the groups of weavers getting together. Well, not just weavers, other trades as well, but particularly the weavers, these sort of combinations that they were called, getting together and taking direct action. So all this stuff came from within the community and was largely spontaneous. The Gordon riots were planned. They were orchestrated, uh, clearly identifiable targets, that kind of thing. And... They weren't from the community. They were a specific group of people 
imposing themselves. And that is what you get now. I so yeah, it changed the. It basically established rioting as we understand it today. Yeah. So just in the same way as in the 2011 riots, which I understand were orchestrated through Facebook, uh, a similar sort of thing there. You know, there's that right, we need to attack these people, those people, and so on. Of course, it would have been word of mouth then. Facebook didn't exist in the 1800s. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, a few minutes ago, you alluded that you had another interesting story for me. Uh, it's a very poignant one, Derek. Uh, a man called William Brown. And he, I mentioned Wheeler Street. He actually lived on Wheeler Street. He was a sailor, though. And the previous year, 1779, he'd been involved in an important uh, naval engagement. He was on a ship called HMS Serapis. And Serapis and an escort uh, vessel were, uh, they were looking after a convoy heading to the Baltic. And an American warship appeared. You mentioned war with America. Um, The USS... USS Bonhomme Richard. And the idea was, of course, the Americans wanted the convoy because of the supplies and everything. And they engaged the Serapis, and the Serapis and its consul were eventually taken. They were um, overwhelmed. But because they were engaging the American ship, the convoy managed to get out and to get to the Baltic. So that was all right, at least. Anyway, the point is that Brown was wounded on the Serapis. And the following year, 1780, during the Gordon Riots, the day after Black Wednesday, so Thursday the 8th, he was on Bishopsgate with uh, another man, and they went to the premises of a cheesemonger called Carter Daking. And Brown went over to Daking, pulled out his clasp knife and said, put a shilling in my hat if you don't. I've got a mob outside and we'll trash this place. And obviously the violence the previous night was throughout London. Everybody knew about it. So Daking's thinking, maybe he has, you know, and, and I could lose all my business and my stock and everything for the sake of a shilling. Um, which I know a shilling went further in 1780 than yeah, five pence does now. But even so, it wasn't a great deal of money. You could have asked for a pound or something. But uh, anyway... So he put the shilling in the fellow's hat and uh, Brown went out. And so when Brown and his mate left the premises, Daking got one of his men to shadow them. And they could see that there was no mob. It was just the two of them. And they'd gone across the road to an oil shop and uh, tried the same thing on again. So they were arrested. Daking sent word and they were arrested. Now, he was convicted and he was hanged. He was one of the the first people to be hanged on the 11th of July. And it turned out what happened was his wound, head wound, when he was serving on the Serapis, uh, he said was, you know, it sort of unsettled him. So if he had anything to drink, he would become, you know, out of control. Uh, Right. And what had happened was uh, he'd served on another ship after the Serapis and he was owed some money, some back pay. And he'd gone and collected it and thought, oh, while I'm out, I'll have a drink. And that's what did it. And that drink cost him his life. That wasn't taken into account at his trial? No. It was mentioned, but it was not taken into account. And he, was, he was convicted and, as I say, hanged, hanged on Bishopsgate facing Dakin's premises. Now, when you consider how many people 
were found not guilty or had no evidence brought against them, even though there's you know, seemingly there were you know useful witness statements that could have been used. And how many people who were convicted but not hanged? It seemed strange that he was hanged. I think it probably because he was his hearing was one of the first days of the hearings. So maybe attitudes were a bit harder at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, he was one of the five people to be hanged on that day. Because he hadn't used any violence. I mean, I suppose it was threatening, yeah, like, it was gaining just, money with threatening or with menace, I suppose. Yeah, gaining money with menaces. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but just because he'd had a drink. So oh, well. Probably yeah. a moral in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, David, once again, thank you very much indeed. Most enlightening. Thank you, Derek. As always, a pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.